So, as Rebecca says, today we're heading in for a landing on our current series, God and Money, which we've been talking about over the last few weeks since the start of October. And we've talked a lot about how money competes for our hearts. Last week, we talked about who we are as children of God and and how our identity is found in Him and not in our external circumstances. It's not found in the size of our house, the model of car that we drive, or even the job that we have. Thank goodness. We're sons and daughters of the King, and we will never be content unless we learn to trust in Him. So that's what we've been learning about. And it really is a lifelong journey, to be fair. Um, But it is so important that we understand that there is actually a battle over our identity. And And our greatest calling as a church family is to teach people who they are as sons and daughters of the King. And actually, sometimes before I speak on a Sunday morning... Um, the odd time I wake up with like a nightmare or something like that and uh, the enemy doesn't really like it sometimes when we're pushing into particular things and last night was probably like the most disturbing night's sleep I've had before before a sermon. I'm fine by the way, it doesn't faze me at all, I just pray and just declare who I am and um, we, we, are, we are more than conquerors so it doesn't scare me in the slightest but what it does do is it just kind of lets me know what we're pushing in today I think is quite significant. Okay, it's quite important. Um, There's a battle over what we do with our wallets. There's a battle over our identity. There's a battle over our hearts. And uh, the enemy would love to have us distracted and focused on the wrong things. But actually, as children of God, um, let's be a people who have our eyes fastened on him. Um, And it's really important that as children of God that we understand that there's always room at his table. We will never need to fear being squeezed out. We will never need to fear there not being a place for us at the table. And uh, that's important to know because over the next 50 years, um, governments will come and governments will go. Borders may come and borders may go. Political circumstances will certainly change. That is for sure. They'll probably change in a few weeks' time. Laws may well change. But as the children of God, we do not need to fear And I'm certainly not getting involved in politics or anything like that. Uh, And what I would say to all of us, regardless of our political opinions, and there will be many in this room, there'll be a wide range of views, but the thing that I want to say applies to us all. Do not be afraid. This is a time for the church to stand up and be fearless. And the trouble comes when people don't understand that God is a good father and he cares for all that he has made. Our future is safe and secure in his hands. And you only have to watch the news for a few minutes. In fact, earlier on this week, there were some disturbing things that was happening. And really what was going on is the enemy's trying to use fear and anxiety to try and stir up old divisions again. When we feel fearful and insecure, that leads us into the place of control and manipulation. And when we do that, what we do is we rely on our own tactics to get, a, get what we want and what we think we need. And so being fearful and insecure is quite a dangerous place to live from. Um, that's the narrative that we've seen so many times in our nation. But as the people of God, we've got a call on our lives to trust in him. We don't need to fear a hard border or a soft border or no border. We don't need to fear whether we remain or whether we leave. We are the people of God and we do not need to be afraid. So right now, in these times of great uncertainty, I really believe that the call of God to his people is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. 
I think there's no greater time to be the people of God who know who we are and what we carry. We carry the unshakable hope of Jesus. We carry heaven's answers for society's greatest problems. We carry the compassionate heart of the Father which looks past the brokenness that we see in the lives of many and invites them to come to the table. And my prayer for us is that we will be a people who fully grasp our identity as sons and daughters, who put our trust fully in Jesus and not in our external circumstances, be that possessions or societal status or appearance or whatever. Our security is in Jesus. Our identity is in Jesus. That is the most powerful place that we can live from. So, we're going to um, talk a little bit more specifically this morning about what the Bible says about giving. And um, we've talked a lot about um, money in general um, and how it competes for our hearts. But I want to talk about giving this morning. And we've talked before about this famous sermon on the mountainside um, when Jesus had uh, people gathered together and, uh, and he spoke to those that were gathered and he said, seek first the kingdom. So I'm going to put the words, some of the words up on the screen. We're going to start from Matthew chapter 6, um, verse 19 this morning. And Jesus said to them, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And a little bit later on, if we jump a little bit further forward to verse 31, Jesus says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. And what's really clear here is that if we're to live like Jesus, then money shouldn't be the most important thing in our lives. A kingdom lifestyle is one that is centered on Jesus and his kingdom above everything else. That's why we've got to talk about money. And I'm so conscious that many of you grew up in church, and I know that for some of you, money was never spoken about. Um, it was left untouched. And uh, it feels so personal, doesn't it? when we talk about it, and when, when we talk about it, we can feel poked and offended sometimes when it's a topic of conversation. So I'm so aware of that. Hopefully you know me enough by now to know that my heart is to not make you feel guilty or heavy, but actually, I just want to see us all walk freely in the calling that God has for each one of us. That's my heart this morning. We're very much on this journey together. Rebecca and I have been tithing all of our married life, so I think that we've been able to learn enough about money, hopefully, to be able to teach on it. But um, truthfully, we're still learning how to trust. We're still on this journey. This is a lifelong journey, as I said earlier. We're still learning not to be fearful. We're still trying to figure this out. We're still learning that he is more than enough. And all that I want to do is to see the greatness in your life released as you step fully into your calling. Does anybody remember the little postcards that um, maybe you got one of these through? Oh, have I lost it? Hang on a little bit. Yeah, there we go. Does anybody remember the little postcard that came through your door? Did anybody get one of these? Did anybody keep, keep it? Have you still got it? Class. Brian, I think, I think we bend them all. So uh, keep that, frame it, it's precious. 
Um, not that we're going to be precious about possessions and everything, but that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, anyway, before we launched publicly two years ago, we came up with a strap line, you were made for greatness. And we put it on that little postcard. We, we dropped it through doors right across Bangor. And really right across everything we do as a church, our call is to teach people who they are and what they carry. We want to see the people of this community here in Bangor awaken to the significance of who God has made them to be, that they are made for greatness, that you are made for greatness, that I am made for greatness. That's why we've got to talk about money, because I love you all too much to ignore this. Graham, would you mind, there's a, there's a Wimber quote, would you mind skipping back to it, because I think I've put the slides in the wrong order, I think that's the problem there. Um, so you should say that up on the screen in a little, bit, in a little minute, but um, Uncle John, John Wimber, who uh, was... Um, very significant in the early days of the vineyard movement, um, one of the early leaders of our movement, he says, what well, we have been redeemed at the cross and our entire lives were purchased with the precious blood of Christ. He now rightfully possesses the title deed to our souls and bodies, our aspirations and bank accounts. Unless you realize this as a believer, that God is the owner of everything in your life, then every teaching you hear on finances is in vain. So that quote is a little bit offensive, isn't it? Yeah. How many people think that's offensive? No, just me. Just a little bit. Okay. I'm sure there's a few more of you. You just don't want to be the one to put your hand up. But um, actually, truthfully, the way Jesus talked about money and still is, and, and, uh, it still is countercultural. It was at the time, and it still is completely countercultural. It is actually offensive to us. It doesn't align with the also familiar me, me, me narrative that we hear all around us. And actually one of the, the enemy's strategies for your life is for you to be focused on yourself, to be self-absorbed because that actually reflects his own nature. But Jesus calls us to be selfless and to be like him. God is the greatest giver that we will ever know selfless in every way. We know that God's love for us was so great that it compelled him to send Jesus to become a man and to die on a cross that we can have a full relationship with him. Our God is a generous God. He gave up everything for us. And the way that Jesus lived is the way that we've been called to walk. He is the way. And if you want to live a powerful and significant life, then come and follow Jesus. Come and follow his way and his example. And I don't mean just come and say some words that kind of seal the deal and get you over the line. Uh, if you don't know Jesus, then we love to introduce you to him. That first step really is so important and we'd love to pray with you and get you started on that journey. But I also want to ask a question to those of us who've been around church for a little bit longer. We talk about following the way of Jesus, living the way that he's called us to walk. So the question for all of us, including me, is are you really following Jesus? Are you really following his way? Or have you decided to do it your way? That's the battle that we fight every day. Will I do it my way? Or will I let him have his way? And sons and daughters, they do not conform to the patterns of this world. They do not allow themselves to be shaped by the narratives of the culture around them. So when the world looks at money and selfishly says, me, 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 or get, 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 
You need to know that those rules don't apply to us. We had an incredible um, kids pastor, kids leader, whenever um, I was our boy's age. And as do our kids have incredible kids leaders. Who's at the back there? Heller. And another one upstairs. They do an amazing job, don't they? <laughs> do an incredible job. Um, but we had a guy um, who used to write these songs, really wacky songs, and uh, um, that's how I kind of memorized a lot of Bible verses. But he had one that, that used to say, it's far better to give than to get, than to get, 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 get. It's far better to give than to get, than to get all the time. Um, no, <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> so, um, but the world around us is kind of get, 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 me, me, me. And those rules, they don't apply to us. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our God, they're kind of diametrically opposed to one another. So the narrative of more and more and more that we hear on the radio or on the news or on billboards or wherever, that's not the story that we're part of. That's not our story. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having money and being wealthy, certainly not, but we need to be careful not to make a God out of it. We do things entirely differently in the kingdom of God. We lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven by seeking first the kingdom. And one of the primary ways that we invest in the kingdom of heaven is by giving. And giving's just like saving, except you put it into God's bank account. And there are two types of giving which are both biblical that I want to briefly talk about today. The first one is, that's us on track now in terms of the slides. The first one is tithing. And this concept of tithing, it goes right back to the beginning of our story in Genesis, where Abel brings God the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. That happens, and we can read about that in Genesis chapter 4. And we see the same principle again in Genesis chapter 28. And we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 28, verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am making, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So that's where this principle of tithing first starts. Back in Genesis chapter 4 and then again in 28. And if we flick forward a few books to Deuteronomy, we'll see that it was actually then formalized into the Mosaic law um, that Moses established. And in the Mosaic law, there were three tithes. Okay, so there was a regular tithe that was given um, to support the priests and the work of the temp temple. Then there was a festival tithe. Uh, for the celebration of the required feast. And then every third year, there was another tithe, the charity tithe, um, given um, to the Levite, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widow. Um, so two years, they gave 20%. The third year, they gave 30%. So average of 23.3%. So it wasn't just 10%. And then the very last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi rebukes God for failing to tithe. And he says... Malachi 3, verse 7. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from me, from my decrees, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in the house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Really challenging passage of Scripture. But I love the bit at the end where God says, test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it in. He's a good father. So we can see that this tithing principle, it ran right throughout the Old Testament from the first book of the, of the, of the Old Testament to the last book. Um, now some would say then, we are under the new covenant. This is no longer relevant. Um, the old law has been abolished, yet Jesus appears actually to uphold this whole idea of tithing. And we can read about that a little bit in Luke chapter 11. Um, Jesus is kind of doing what he did quite a lot. He's telling off the Pharisees. And this time he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So he was telling them off for not loving people. But he didn't tell them to stop tithing. In fact, he said that they still ought to tithe. He just said, don't neglect the justice and the love of God while you're doing it. He was actually challenging the heart behind what they were doing. They were doing it from a wrong heart. They were only doing it from a place of religious duty and obligation. And that's not really the lens. We're, in fact, it's not at all the lens that we're supposed to look at this. Our giving is supposed to be a joyful response to all that God has done for us. It's an overflow. It's part of our worship. It's out of our love and our affection for Jesus. That's why we do it. And, and truthfully, this isn't a salvation issue at all. We can't buy our way into heaven. The grace Jesus gives us at the cross is freely given. But it's in response to that grace that we give. Giving is one of the ways that our hearts are transformed into the likeness of Jesus, allowing him to have his way in our lives so we start to radiate with the glory of God. That's why we give. Nothing shapes our heart more than giving. It's kind of like this. Um, last year, um, Rebecca and I took Josh and Daniel and Micah um, up the morns, and uh, Micah was still at that stage where he, f he fitted into a backpack so I could carry him up the top of the mountain, um, which was pretty challenging back then. Um, but we, we made it up to the top of the mountain, but on the way we, um, we passed a lot of these kind of stagnant puddles. And Josh and Daniel, they kept saying to me, Dad, can we, can we drink out of those puddles? Is that water safe to drink on? I think they'd heard me talking about my Mourns expeditions whenever I did Duke of Edinburgh as a, as a teenager and uh, how I drank out of fast-flowing rivers and all that sort of stuff. So they were fascinated. You can drink the water in the mountains. So every puddle they came to, can we drink that one? Can we drink that one? Can we drink that one? Um, and I had to keep saying, no, no, it needs to be fast-running water in a river to be able to drink it. So you can't drink out of stagnant puddles. And it's the same with our hearts. If we're not giving or serving, our hearts become stagnant and our lives don't bring refreshment to others. But when we choose to give of our time, of our money and resources, it starts to turn our hearts into a wellspring of life. One that can bring joy and encouragement to others. 
I don't know about you, but I, but I know which one that I want for my life. I want to be the fast-flowing river and not a stagnant puddle. So, I do believe in tithing. I believe that the Bible teaches that we give a minimum of 10%, and that should be primarily to the local church of which you're part of. But whilst I say that, I still want you to know that here in the vineyard, you're welcome whether you choose to give or not to give. And we really do mean that. Um, I hope you know that. And particularly if you're still exploring life with Jesus, look, we want this place to be a safe place where people can come in um, and if they're far away from Jesus, but yet they can come into this place and they can meet with Jesus. And so um, we, 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 we long for this place to be a place where people can come as they are and wrestle with this stuff. And we've been so grateful that we've seen a few people give their lives to Jesus along the way. We're praying for many more. And we believe God is going to bring many, many more along the way. And, uh, and that applies if you're wrestling with money or sexuality or addiction, or whatever. Come as you are. We're a come as you are people. All of us are broken. All of us are messed up in some way, but we believe that Jesus, he meets us in our brokenness, and he invites us to walk his way. And if, if, if and when we choose that path, he invites us into freedom. And if we stay on that path, the longer we stay on that path, the more we walk with Jesus, the more we become like him. So come as you are this morning. But if you stick around here for long enough, you're probably going to bump into the beauty and grace of Jesus. And when that happens, it's really impossible to stay as we are. So come as you are, but don't stay as you are. And I would say this to all of us. Society is really hurting right now. And we can look at that one of, one of two ways. We can do what the church has done so many times in the past and stand up in our big soapbox and hit everybody with a big stick and judge people. Or we can actually get down into the trenches and walk alongside people, get our hands dirty. It's messy. We're called to love and not to judge I actually had a dream earlier on this week of somebody in our church who's not here today. Just coming alongside somebody who had a beat up and bruised face who was busted and just crying alongside them. I feel like God wants to birth compassion in our hearts. So that's the kind of people we're called to be. Not people that judge what's going on around us, but people that love the world around us. So let's be a grace-filled people. In terms of tithing, I don't really want us to get legalistic about this either. So if you're not convinced about this tithing thing, um, my advice would be just to start dialoguing with Jesus, just to start talking to him about it. Um, that's actually the best thing that any of us can do, just to start um, asking Jesus, Jesus, what are you teaching me today? You, you, when you wake up in the morning, just to say to him, Jesus, what do, you, what do you want to talk to me about today? And when you approach this whole area of giving, Jesus, what do you want me to give? What do you desire from me?
We've been called to relationship and not to religion. So let's move on a little bit and we're going to talk now about offerings. So as I said to you before, I'd settled this, this issue of tithing years ago in my heart. As I, um, whenever Rebecca and I got married, we started tithing and giving back to God at least 10% of our income. Um, but what I want to tell you a little bit about this morning is, is what he's been teaching me over the last few years about this whole area of offerings. And that's the kind of over and above. That's where it really gets fun and we really get to be a blessing to one another through our offerings. So about four years ago, um, I was at the Vineyard National Leaders Conference in, in Nottingham. And uh, there was an offering being taken to support a couple of different ministries. Now, the National Leaders Conference is at the end of January every year. And yeah, January is a hard month, isn't it, financially for most people um, because of Christmas. And for both of us, our cars are due MOTs in February. So that normally means we start spending money on them in, in January just to get them ready. There's normally the odd wee thing we need to fix. So here was I at the National Leaders Conference and uh, feeling the strain of a depleting bank balance. But yet here was someone on the stage suggesting that I give even more above the regular 10%. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. So as I moaned a bit to God about it and I wrestled with the idea of should I give anything at all, never mind how much I was to give, I felt God very clearly in that moment say to me, Ben, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And interestingly, our circumstances were shifting a little bit at that time. Um, Rebecca was pregnant with Micah. Um, so we were kind of looking um, forward to her income reducing significantly. Um, she was going to reduce her hours and there was maternity leave coming up and all that sort of stuff. Um, my income was reducing because I got a promotion and strangely that meant I earned less. So go figure that one out. Um, so I was on a standby rota before which meant that I, I was able to kind of get a lot of overtime. Um, but whenever I got promoted I had to kind of step off that. So that was a kind of big hit at the time. And um, I remember kind of going, how, how, how are we going to make the books balance? And so in the middle of all that, here was God asking me to give even more away. So it really challenged me. Really challenged me. So anyway, as I started to, to engage in worship um, and really just talk to, to the Lord about it and, and just to submit again to him and to tell him that, that, that I trusted him, I realized that I needed to lead with my wallet. If I was going to trust him fully, I needed to lead with my wallet. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. In other words, your heart follows your wallet. So I said, if I start giving, then maybe I'll start trusting more because I was struggling to trust. Sounds a bit risky, but maybe that's what God is actually calling me to do. Now, the problem is we normally want this to work the other way, don't we? We normally think if God gives me lots of money, then I'll start to give him more. The problem with that is it doesn't require any faith. That's called playing it safe, and we haven't been called to play it safe. We've been called to be a dangerous people, and that requires us to trust. So we started to give um, significantly more on a monthly basis, so much so that whenever I put it into our monthly budget, the bottom line started to go red. Um, but guess what? Over and over again, We've said yes to God. We've seen him provide. We've seen him provide. 
sure it's cost us significantly. But he is the pearl of great price. And to be able to partner with him to build his kingdom, that's worth everything I've got. So what do we do with our offerings? Well, I think that's the really fun part. Um, We can use our offerings to bless others. So there's a collection over there for Storehouse this morning. Some of you have just gone over and above what what you regularly give and and are are giving it away to support and to bless others. Such a good thing to do. Um, It might be supporting a family we know who's going through a hard time. Some of you do that quietly in the background unbeknown to anybody you're 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 pushing into generosity it might be to sponsor other children and there's some great organizations in fact talk to louise if you're interested in doing that um there's a great organization called abana um who will who will help you um to to support children in in parts of africa and ensure they're they're educated um, and that's such a good way to, to spend our offerings to go over and above what Jesus has asked us to do. So just follow the lead of the Spirit and have some fun. Um, before we wrap up, I want you to check out this little video. Um, this is Rick Warren, who pastors Saddleback Church in America. Um, so let's have a listen to what he has to say. Um, the antidote to materialism which is the temptation to have, I see it and I want it, is, is generosity. And generosity is, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. If you want to become like Christ, which is, by the way, the goal of life, Romans eight twenty nine, you must learn to be generous. And you must learn to be more and more generous every year. And that's been a, a long journey in my life, which... Just, just say what you've done in terms of your own life, in terms of generosity. When Kay and I got married 37 years ago, we made a commitment that we were, would be more generous every single year. So when we got married 37 years ago, we first started with the basic tithe, 10%. Tithe means 10%. The Bible says in Malachi 3, if you're not tithing, you're robbing God. It's God's money. So we made a commitment when we got married, God gets paid first in our life. Not leftovers, God gets paid first. We may be in debt to everybody else, but we are not going to be in debt to God. The first 10% goes to God. At the end of our first year of marriage, we raised our tithe to 11%. At the end of our second year of marriage, we raised it to 12%. At the end of our third year of marriage, we raised it to 13%. On years that we would um, get a raise or things would go good, we'd raise it 3 or 4%. On years that we were flat broke and the cupboard was bare and we were barely making it, we'd raise it a quarter of a percent because every year we were going to be more generous. Now, we weren't doing this to show off, Nikki. I didn't tell anybody about it for nearly 30 years. Uh, but we, each year we kept raising it and raising it and raising it. Um, this last year we raised it another percent. Uh, Kay and I give away 91% and live on nine. Now, I, I have lived in a... I've been playing this game with God for 37 years where God says, okay, Rick, we're going to play this game. You give to me and I'll give to you and we'll see who wins. (laughs) I have lost that game for 37 years. You cannot outgive God. I dare you. I dare you.
don't know about you, but I find that both challenging and inspiring. Um, so my challenge to us this morning, would you prayerfully consider giving 10% of your income so that as a church family, we can continue to create an environment where more people can connect with Jesus? So that we can be a people that are shaped, whose hearts are shaped by Jesus. So that we can pursue the kingdom with greater intensity in this place, in this community here in Bangor. So that we can serve the poor and the marginalized in our community. So that we can create spaces for students who are here during the week to connect with Jesus. Um, I dream of the day when we have the time and resources to be able to serve this college really, really well. To create environments during the week where we can connect and welcome students. Not just kind of rock up here on a Sunday morning and do our thing. But we want to actually leave a deposit behind in this place. As young people come in that stage of their life when they have so many questions. That we can be a voice. We've talked before about the whole area of compassion and there's a number of people in our church who have so many dreams of serving the least in our community. We've pushed into that a little bit. It's only the tip of the iceberg. That thing we did last month in the Sportsplex, that event that we did, uh, pause, where we just gathered people who wouldn't even dream of, of coming here on a Sunday morning but would come to an event where we could, we could serve them and, and, and talk about some ways that they can um, keep themselves healthy uh, emotionally and, and mentally. Um, that's such an important way that we've been called to serve this city and we've been called to do more of that. We also want to invest in raising up a dangerous generation. That costs money as well as time. We're thankful that we've been able to afford to pay for kids' rooms and see our children grow in faith. We're delighted that there's an amazing team of, of leaders who are doing such an incredible job there. And we're praying as well for many more children to come to our church so that they, could, they too can step into the calling of God on, the, on our lives, on their lives. So would you prayerfully consider doing that? Um, just to get really practical for a moment, um, there are three ways that you can give. The details are on this postcard. Would you mind just circulating those? There's probably way too many in that pile there, but um, there's enough anyway. So there are three ways that you can give. The details are on the postcard that's been passed around. The simplest way to do that is online. It makes my life so much easier from an administration point of view. Um, and uh, you, can, you can do that by going to the giving page on our church. There's a link embedded in that page. Um, you can click on that link and you can set up either a regular donation or, or, or a one-off donation through that link. Um, I'm actually going to email that around as well just, in case, just so everybody gets that because um, it's kind of hidden in the middle of the page. But it's there to see if you read it. Um, our bank details are on there as well. You can set up a standing order. Everything should be explained, hopefully, in that postcard. If you prefer setting up a standing order the old-fashioned way, then we have some forms here this morning, and you can um, fill them in and pop it in the giving box at the back of the room. But as I draw to a close, this really isn't about us having your money. It's not what it's about. Truthfully, I don't lose any sleep at all about where the money for this church comes from. Not at all. We have seen God's provision. We have seen his goodness so many times. 
When we launched Sunday mornings here at the end of January, we really didn't have any money. Uh, this is Jan January 2018. Uh, we really hardly had any money at all to pay for it, but we responded anyway. We hadn't planned to do it. It wasn't in our kind of plan that we set out. We weren't going to do Sunday mornings until at least a year. We were going to do the Thursday nights, but God spoke to us, and we just changed direction, and we went for it. And the Rebecca's kind of nodding her head going, off oh, flip, I remember. That was crazy what we did back then. It was, but we responded anyway in faith and obedience, and we met upstairs in room S35 on the 20th of January 20, 2018 and three days later a couple who aren't part of our church gave us a gift of over a thousand pounds. That pretty much paid for the room hire for Sunday mornings for the first month and every single time we've stepped out. I remember as well after we've been going for a year um, we felt like God was calling us to, to get out of the room upstairs and come down here so we could create a welcoming space for more people to come and, and, and encounter Jesus and uh, Again, it was a push, but God has provided. And every single time we've stepped out and obeyed the leading of the Holy Spirit, God has always provided what we need. So I'm not concerned at all. This isn't about us having your money. But what I do care about is whether or not we're submitting ourselves fully to Jesus because that will, that will shape the kind of people that we become. And nothing shapes our hearts more than giving. So let's pray, and we're going to worship together as well. Father, this morning we, we just rejoice in your goodness. Lord, it's scary to be, um, to live by faith sometimes. The way that you've called us to live is so different and the narrative that we see around us. But God, we, we know that we've been called to be a different people. We know that we've been called to be radically different. So Lord, come and do a miracle in our hearts this morning. Come and set our hearts on fire for you. Come and teach us how to be courageous people who are courageous in all aspects of our, of our life with you, Jesus who are not afraid to step out and, and have conversations with people and to pray for people in the, in, in, the, in the line at the checkout or in the workplace, Lord, but that we would be courageous people, that we would not shrink back and be afraid, Lord, but we would be fearless. Deposit courage in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. Let's stand as we worship together.